Hey immigrant listeners, this is your host Sadia Khan and today I am asking you for a huge favor. At Immigrantly, we are always looking for ways to improve the immigrantly experience for you, our listeners. But we don't know you that well. We don't know what clicks. We don't know what you like about Immigrantly or what you don't like about immigrantly and that's why we created a listener survey you can simply go to our website immigrantlypod.com click on support and then click on our survey and fill it out it will take you a few minutes and as a token of our appreciation you will be automatically entered to win a hundred dollars visa gift card please do us a favor so that we can get to know you better and improve our content bring you the best stories and guests that you want to listen to so help us out and now to our today's episode there is that stigma or that common belief that if a marriage ends in a divorce it's therefore a failure I think it creates a lot of shame. It creates a lot of complications and, and problems because there are many situations where a divorce is, it shouldn't be viewed as a failure because in, in a lot of cases, it may actually be a, a good step or the, a healthy step to take. Hello and welcome to Immigrantly, a weekly podcast that features deeply personal conversations about race, identity, multiculturalism, and the general messiness of being human. Today, we are going to talk about divorce, Shah Jahan. Our guest for today's episode is uh, Maria Akopian. She is a family lawyer, divorce coach, and founder of Dignified Divorce Coaching. Uh, she was actually born in Armenia and immigrated to Los Angeles, California when she was just 10 months old. Maria focuses on helping recently divorced women smoothly transition to single life in a healthy, positive way. Uh, her work challenges the notion that divorce is lonely and painful. Obviously, while it you know can be that for everyone involved, yeah. she proposes you know that there's, it's also like an opportunity for rediscovery, uh, empowerment, uh, and her expertise stems from her exposure to family law and her passion for life coaching. Exciting. So, that's what we've got today. Maria, welcome to Immigrantly. We are so excited to have you here. And today we are going to talk about divorce. Interesting topic. For me, having grown up in Pakistan, divorce has a very different connotation, right? It's almost taboo in a way. But in the US, where we have 50% divorce rate, it's pretty normalized, if I can use that word. But I am curious to know, how did you get into you know, divorce coaching, and why did you choose this field? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on and, and talk about divorce. It's essentially all I deal with all day long. So I'm very passionate about this topic and odd topics to be passionate about. But I think it's mainly because, uh, so I have a background, I'm an attorney, I'm licensed in California. And that was the area of law that I 
went into because it's the area where people are dealing with real emotions, deep emotions, raw emotions. And I think that's where a lot of different sides of an individual comes out. And of course, there is so much still stigma and taboo, even in the US when it comes to divorce, even with such a high divorce rate. But I think um, I'm also from a culture that divorce is very uncommon, or at least it's still, it still has that stigma to it. And you don't hear of too many Armenian families divorcing, and it's still kind of frowned upon. Um, but of course, on the legal end, I wanted to make sure that, or at least contribute to a divorce that tends to be more positive right? One that is more, it could be done without hurting the children, without making it into an all-out war if possible, because there are ways to have a more peaceful type of divorce um, without needing it to be such a complicated matter. And of course, it's a case-by-case basis. I think it really just depends on the family and how they view it and how can contentious it is. But um, so having seen so many really contentious divorces, but also ones that are peaceful and more collaborative and amicable. Then on the coaching side, it's I noticed the gap between people who jump right into divorce, assuming that it will, um, a lot of myths and misconceptions people have of divorce without, because nobody really expects to get divorced. So when they are confronted with that situation, they rely on advice from so many different people or just their misconceptions of it. So on the coaching end, what I strive to do is at least educate about the divorce process so people can really think about it in advance, make plans, uh, do it in a way where they take the emotions out of it so that they can treat it like a business transaction, because that's essentially what it is. You know, it's so interesting you say that, and there is so much that needs to be unpacked, I guess. One thing that I want to ask you right off the bat, what are some of the misconceptions and myths around divorce? Well, one of that is that you need to lawyer up right away. You need to go to court and litigate your divorce. And I think there would nowadays there's so many different options to divorce. There's the mediation, there's collaborative divorce, there's options that are more willing to bring the parties together in a collaborative type of environment where it isn't so adversarial. It's not me versus you and let's see who can win this battle. It's more of, okay, well, we are choosing to no longer be married. Maybe we have children and we want to do what's best for the children and we're still going to be a family after this. We're just no longer married or living in the same house. So how can we uncouple in a way where we're still doing it with love, with compassion, or at least, you know, with care for one another. And so that's one of the myths, just jumping right in, hiring a shark of an attorney and (laughs) basically litigating your divorce. curious have you seen any couple where one person decided to stay in marriage not for love but for some other reason it happens all the time actually Uh, I I think there just because a marriage is maybe unhappy or it's not working um, you know a lot of people think that the divorce is the answer and for some it very well could be and you don't necessarily have to stay in a relationship that makes you really unhappy but there are different motives for it or motivations for it so some people can choose to stay in a marriage because it provides them this financial security that they need or the lifestyle that they're looking 
for, or maybe they really do want to stay together for the kids, which of course I have my own opinions about that, but <laughs> there, there could be a variety of reasons for choosing to stay in a marriage that isn't necessarily happy or isn't necessarily connected. Um, so it, again, it does really come down to lifestyle, financial security. If maybe they're waiting until a certain point to eventually consider divorce. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to get divorced right away, especially if there are things coming up in the future that may affect your interest, right? Or, or if you get divorced later on, you may have, um, you know, more of a community property interest, let's say I'm in California. So I think community property, but yeah, to answer your question, I guess it comes down to what they're willing to experience and, and what their values and priorities are at that point. Can you give us an example of a couple who divorced amicably or divorced peacefully? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so I see a lot of it on the coaching side, but even on the legal side, I've uh, actually had a case where I represented the husband and they were an older couple and they already knew exactly how they wanted to divide things. They had already talked about it. I think it was mainly because they knew they were planning on getting a divorce. They just simply didn't want to be married to one another anymore. So they had already made the plans, talked amongst themselves saying, okay, you get to keep the house and I'll get the retirement plan or whatever it is. <laughs> They've already kind of negotiated amongst themselves. So then when I got in, it was mainly just doing the the legal aspects of it, the paperwork and just the, the required process of it. And the funny part was where I had asked my client something specific to financial information. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Here, talk to my wife. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, why, why is this happening? but it just mainly goes to show like oh my wife knows everything so I have nothing to hide from her even though we're divorcing so we're just trying to work together so if I don't have an answer she might so let's figure out how to do this peacefully and then we ended up sitting down the four of us so me my client the wife and the husband or the the attorney and we just went through there's still a few issues we had to negotiate and figure out and by the end of the day it was only a two hour, I guess, collaborative type of divorce meeting. And they walked away, the exes shook hands. They said, you know, pleasure doing business with you. I'll see you at some point and they drove off. <laughs> that's like, that's probably a record. I mean, I don't know if there are records. <laughs> it was great. I was actually, I was surprised. I walked away with this thing. This, this is the most peaceful divorce I've ever seen. I'm surprised just by listening to what you like, how you're describing it. Yeah. No. And I mean, I think all of us probably, we probably don't need to ask you the opposite. You know what I mean? Like what's <laughs> the word? I feel like we all probably have some idea of what that can be like. To bring it uh, in a different context, what are some of the more common reasons couples get a divorce? So we like to look at it as more of the hard reasons, so to speak, and then the soft reasons. So the hard reasons are things that the couples can't necessarily overcome. Now, it's obviously not true for everybody, but some people have a hard time getting over infidelity, right? Or getting over addictions or mental health. If one spouse has uh, either a mental health condition or an undiagnosed mental health condition and they won't get treatment, then it really puts a strain on the relationship and they just no longer can, can tolerate it. So they choose to separate. And, you know, addictions, like I said, uh, financial issues, sometimes that comes into play if one spouse is just really bad with money and it's creating such a financial hardship for the family. And it's just hard to maintain a, a marriage if they just simply can't live together. 
Right. So it's mainly the, the harder reasons, like I said, where it's more common to get a divorce for those bigger types of issues, I guess. And then the soft reasons are more of they maybe grew apart, right? They, they're no longer compatible with where they are in their lives. They just simply don't enjoy being with one another. And maybe they don't see the marriage continuing past its point. So it's almost as if it's hit an expiration point, you could say. They, they're simply no longer to really wanting to invest in that relationship and continue to grow together and work together and, and be together for X amount of time or for the rest of their lives. So uh, oftentimes I think that's the harder one. A lot of my coaching clients come when they're in that stage where they're trying to figure out, well, should I stay in my marriage or should I go? I'm really unhappy, but is it okay to leave? Is leaving the best step? Uh, and just kind of navigating that area tends to be really hard because I think a lot of people end up being in this indecision paralysis for many years before they actually do take that step. And that's assuming they're the initiators of the divorce. Maria, adding to that, have you seen any differences in gender dynamics? How do different gender identities approach divorce and separation? That's a really good question. Um, I think, of course, it's different for everyone. I've seen it where it also depends on who's the initiator. If it's the, the man initiating the divorce, if it's the woman, from what I've seen, it tends to be more of the women or at least on the the initiator side, or oftentimes they both decided that they want the divorce, but it, again, I think more often than not, and again, I'm generalizing, I've noticed, at least from my experience, that it's more of the women that tend to be the initiators. The men are the ones basically saying, fine, you want a divorce, I'll wait for you to serve me the paperwork, and then we'll go ahead and deal with the divorce. And a lot of times, it does seem to be the men that are willing to at least work with the wife, especially if they've been in a long-term marriage, if they know that they have all these assets accumulated. And again, it also depends on the climate of the relationship and, and how amicable they are with each other. Sometimes people can be really emotional and they say, well, I'm not going to give my, my soon-to-be ex anything. You see a lot of that. Um, and I think it really just depends on what emotions are at play. The grieving process makes a difference too, but it does seem to be that both men and women grieve differently. Have you dealt with any a same-sex couple divorce or anything else along the spectrum there? Yeah, it, it does come up. Um, it's more, it's a similar type of process, but more of the domestic relations. Um, I, we have dealt with some of those types of dynamics, and it tends to be a similar type of experience, I would say, um, less common in my experience. Would you say it's like more often that one person is the initiator? Rather than the fairy tale, you know, initial example that you told us where it was like a two hour business transaction. And, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think both partners seem to be, you know, they have an awareness that the marriage is over and it's, it really just comes down to who's going to take that first step. I want to add another component to our conversation and I want to... Um, go back to what you mentioned initially that you immigrated from uh, Armenia and obviously people who immigrate from different countries. I am an immigrant. I grew up in Pakistan. We have a different view of divorce and not just that. There is this added layer, right, 
of especially for people who are who have a specific visa status in the United States. Let's take an example of somebody who is on H-1B or some other temporary visa, work visa, and one of them decides to get divorced. Now that involves a lot of other things, right? Financial, how do you maintain your visa status if the independent person is initiating divorce? Have you seen any differences in how immigrant versus non-immigrant communities approach divorce and the process itself and how they perceive it? Uh, it, it does tend to be different because I know there's added layers of concern or worries. Um, I, I have seen it where there needs to be an immigration attorney involved as well, because uh, I think the the divorce, since there are multiple layers there, um, me on the family law side, and then we would need an immigration attorney specific to deal with the, the visa and removing conditions and just depending on where they are in the process. But I think it it really just depends on their relationship and whether they feel that and and oftentimes I think the one of the spouses that maybe is the 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 citizen let's say and then their spouse is on their visa then they tend to be willing to work with the other spouse because they don't want to necessarily deprive them or have complicate their their visa situation so I have seen it where they are willing to to work with them and figure out how they can go their separate ways without necessarily impacting or making it harder for the the spouse that is trying to um, have residence here or, or stay here more permanently. So you grew up in a, a working class background. Mm-hmm. How has that shaped your approach to divorce, especially because I think at least I know this for me, but you know, yeah, you hear divorce, you just think money, you think of like the exorbitant costs, you know? Mm-hmm. I think, again, in my culture, it's not something that necessarily divorce really comes up all that often, or if it does, then of course, it it's a really big consideration. Uh, I know my, my older generations, they've stuck it out, no matter how bad things got, they stayed together. And, and sometimes it, it can create more harm for the later generation. But again, you know, to, to each their own, not everybody chooses to, to get divorced. And of course, on the, to speak to the financial aspect or the impact that it has, it is a very big transition, right? So there's the emotional transition. So the family, you know, both individuals, their grieving process, how it impacts the children. So there is a huge emotional aspect to it that um, tends to be very convoluted and, and very involved. And so then, of course, the the financial aspects coming from, you know, working class background, then sometimes it depends on how much of an impact it's going to have because you're working, you're trying to, you know, accumulate assets, you're trying to support your family. And now you have one household split into two. And if let's say the other spouse hasn't been working or if, um, you know, now they're looking to you as let's say you're the breadwinner or you're the one that makes the more income. Now, how do you support the other spouse? Because, and, and it comes into play of whether you know, spouse support alimony is an issue that needs to be figured out. It can be really financially hard on both individuals really because now you have to work to maintain those two separate households and life doesn't stop you know your children if you have children they're going to need to be supported they're eventually going to have more expenses as they as they grow and maybe if college is something that they want to do how do you how do you handle all of those financial aspects and plus divorce in and of itself is very expensive especially if you go the litigation route you know now you're paying attorneys 
now you have to go to court. And if it's contentious, then what you know may have been a short, simple process turns into a more complicated matter with multiple hearings and the fees add up. So you know, the divorce process in and of itself is expensive. And then on top of it, now, again, you're trying to figure out how to maintain two separate households. Um, and so that's where it gets really challenging to navigate, hmm. to say the least. Hmm. Now, talking about divorce, other than critical reasons, which you mentioned in the beginning, sometimes I feel like when we talk about how people grow apart, it happens organically for some. But for others, it may just be a phase right, where you've lived long enough with each other and you just need some time apart. I wonder if expectations around love, divorce, marriage are pretty much influenced by what we see in the media, on TV, what we read in stories. And Mm. some of it is just not realistic. That's a really great point because it is true. I mean, if you're hearing divorce, divorce, divorce everywhere you turn, then it does seem to be a little bit more normalized. And so you may potentially be more open to the idea, but you're absolutely right. As in a lot of couples do fall into a rut, right? They, they maybe stop maintaining the, the marriage. Maybe they stop being interested in one another or curious about one another. Maybe the emotional intimacy or the connection starts withering away. I mean, it's very easy to have that happen when you're bombarded and you're busy, you know, working and you have all these stressors and worries out of pandemic on top of it. There's a lot of concern, especially raising children as well. So sometimes we do fall into that rut where we don't necessarily maintain our relationships. And that does kind of lead to, well, can we come back to each other and can we reconnect and rekindle with one another based on where we are now? Or are we just too far gone where we just simply have no interest in investing anymore into the relationship or into the marriage? And there's a lot of times people do come back together. Um, Sometimes they're able to work past their resentments. They're able to work past some of the the deeper issues or the hurts. But again, it does require working on the relationship and on yourself individually too. As far as the media, as far as hearing about divorces and it being more normalized, it does have you reframe the idea of divorce and at least be open to the idea to consider, is this is this an option for me based on where I am? Or is this something that I just don't want to have to go through? And, and what does my partner think about it as well too? Along those lines, actually, what would you say differentiates a divorce from a breakup uh, emotionally? But also just one thing that occurred to me while you were saying that was like, have you ever had a situation where a couple got divorced and then was like, oh, shit, we made a mistake. We actually want to get like remarried. (laughs) So just to clarify, when you say breakup, do you mean um, for a married couple? Yeah, like in your experience, when you talk to people maybe about like why they're getting divorced, has it come up that they've tried to maybe separate from each other for Mm -hmm. a while or just sort Mm -hmm. of like, quote unquote, take a break? I'm thinking of that Friends Mm -hmm. episode. I thought we were broken up. We were on a break. That, for all I knew, we could last forever. That to me is a break up. You slept with someone else? (laughs) We were on a break. The cab's ready. All right, let's go. You're welcome. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you speaking to me or sleeping with someone else? We were on a break! That's kind of what I meant. Yes, and that's absolutely what happens all the 
a lot of the times, I can't say all the time, but I think there is a certain time where couples do decide to go through a separation and, and take time apart and possibly even live separately too, just to see what life is like on their own and maybe just to create some sort of distance. So maybe they're not fighting all the time or they're not in conflict with one another, uh, but they can kind of have a, a breather, some clarity, some space to gather their thoughts and really see how they feel about the situation. I've also found that people want to use it as kind of a dipping their toes in, right? To see what it's like to actually live separately and how that feels. Now, there are times where people do decide to come back together, but I think it also depends on how you spend that time apart. Are you doing that? Are you spending that time really working on yourself, really reflecting, maybe going to therapy and just really understanding yourself, understanding your relationship dynamics, gathering some clarity and insights, and then maybe going back into the relationship to apply it and see if it maybe makes some changes if you can both come back together or is it just basically we're living apart and I'm perfectly content being apart and this is how I want things to continue so it just really depends on how that time is used to the other question I've actually seen that where couples have filed and they think that they're going through the divorce um a lot of the times they'll choose to stop mid process or still towards the beginning where they say, well, you know, maybe now that we've filed, we we're not sure if this is something we really want to do. So let's just go ahead and cancel the whole thing and, <laughs> and take some time apart or get back together and see. Yeah. That's what was really interesting to me. The idea of actually, okay, we're like really going through with this. And then in doing that, that's sort of, mm -hmm. they realize that like, oh, wow, maybe this isn't what we wanted. That That's mm -hmm. really interesting. Happen. It's interesting because I was interviewing this guest recently and she said something along the lines like, so she got married later in life, I think in her late 80s or something. And she was like, dating scene is brutal, right? So that's another layer of what do people expect to do once they're divorced? And she was like, I've told my husband that if this doesn't work out for whatever reason, I'll get another cat, but I'm not going into, you know, that dating space again, which is true because that may also be a consideration for a lot of people. But Maria, I want to add something interesting to this. So recently we interviewed Jessica Fern about polyamory and attachment styles. And I wondered if the institution of marriage itself is evolving. Do you think practices such as polyamory are going to make it easier for couples to stay together? Or do you think it's going to have an opposite impact and maybe cause more divorces? And I know this is mm -hmm. like observational, you don't have statistics, I, but still, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, so when it comes to polyamory, I think it it is something that's more evolving, more common, or you hear more about it, or at least people are more open about it nowadays. So I think that is something that does, when it comes to marriage, it's that institution, like you mentioned, right? Husband, wife, or you know, partners committed to one another for essentially the rest of their lives, right? Or as long as they choose to be together. And it's given that it's a monogamous relationship. And so when you add in polyamory, then it does kind of bump up against the ideals of the institution. But of course, with me, I'm I'm open-minded. And to me, I think it's, if people want to engage in polyamory, by all means, I think that's, everybody is entitled. And, and is, if that's something that both couples talk with one another, the open communications, if they um, really explore that option together, then um, they can really 
do what works for them, even within the, I guess, the confines of, of marriage, so to speak. Um, and so it's not uncommon. I've actually heard of many people who are married, but they have their, you know, mistresses or, or other partners on the side and both couples, spouses are aware of it and it works for them and they're fine with that. And so, but yet yeah, they're still married. They enjoy the benefits of being married, you know, the financial, the tax benefits, whatever it is, they, they are fine with the using the benefits of the marital institute or institution, um, even though they may be have, they are polyamorous and they have other partners that, you know, they, they have an agreement amongst themselves of how the dynamics will play out. So I wanted to shift gears one more time here. And one thing I did today is I went online to your website and I signed up for your divorce checklist, your divorce PDF checklist. And it was interesting because as I was doing it, I was because it came to my company account. Number one, I was thinking, I hope my business partner doesn't think that I'm planning on getting a divorce. <laughs> uh, and then I, my actual like life partner also. But uh, I was reading. Yeah. So I signed up for the mailing list and all that. And then um, I actually... You know, I don't know what it was I was expecting because I, you know, but I found it to be a very systematic like approach, which really covers all the bases. It looked like the free one was maybe a sample, you know, of of something that is in, in your book. And I just was curious if you might want to share with some of our listeners uh, what, you know, obviously not the whole thing, but what are some of the highlights, you know, some things that might be like your top things that people should do, people should consider, especially things that people might forget about in that checklist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's interesting that you got the copy of the checklist. I'm really glad to see that it was something that was interesting, or at least you wanted to explore because I think I put it together because it goes back to the original point of people jump into divorce without really thinking through it, or at least having enough information. It's not just the information, but at least enough insight to figure out what would what they need to do in advance before going ahead and hiring an attorney and jumping right in. So the checklist covers some of the the more practical aspects of what is recommended to do um, as you're thinking about divorce or as you're starting the process. So I go through and I include some of the the documents that need to be gathered just because I know for with any divorce that is financially driven, or at least there are financial transparencies that need to happen. So the checklist goes through and it talks about all the information to gather, uh, all the documentation that will be needed. And of course, I also offer some just some practical tips on um, what to consider, such as the, the living arrangements and what, um, how to think about parenting plans and some of the more like I said, practical aspects that are helpful to think about in advance. So at least you you have an idea before you jump right in. You've mentioned in numerous interviews that divorce shouldn't be equated to failed marriage, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, and it, it shouldn't be zero-sum game when it comes to divorce process. What do you think in an ideal world, how would you want people to perceive the notion of divorce. Mm -hmm. I think there is that that stigma or that common belief that if a marriage ends in a divorce, it's therefore a failure because we do emphasize and we value longevity, or at least that's the measuring stick that we use to determine whether a marriage is successful or not. And I think it's a little, it creates a lot of shame. It 
creates a lot of complications and, and problems because sometimes people do want to get divorced or divorce is the next step, especially if maybe there's been an abusive relationship or it's just a very unhealthy, dysfunctional type of relationship. You shouldn't be obligated to stay in that situation if it's not healthy for anybody, if it's not healthy for the children or for either partner. And so I think there are many situations where a divorce is it shouldn't be viewed as a failure because in, in a lot of cases, it may actually be a, a good step or the, a healthy step to take. And so I think using it more of determining whether a marriage was successful or not based on, well, were we growing? Did we, did we, you know, experience certain things in life together? Did we have, um, did we raise children together? You know, did we, there's many different aspects of knowing whether we're helping each other grow and become, you know, better people, or at least helping each other reach certain points in our lives together. And, and, and I think it's more of that, that history and that type of dynamic that it shows whether a, a marriage was successful or not versus whether it ended in divorce or not. I think people are constantly changing and evolving and life happens. So to, if you're married, let's say in your twenties and now you're in your forties and you're, let's say you're a different person, you've been, you know, working on yourself or you've just had a lot of different experiences and, and it goes both ways. People grow and change. And sometimes they grow in different directions. And it's just not sustainable to stay together. Yeah. I thought offhand of this, um, it's a Aziz Ansari comedy bit at the end where he's like, but imagine if marriage didn't exist and you're a guy and you ask a woman to get married. Imagine what that conversation would be like. You'd be like, uh, hey, so, um, you know, we've been hanging out together all the time, spending a lot of time together and everything. Yeah, yeah, I know. I want to keep doing that till you're dead. <laughs> what? I want to keep hanging out with you till one of us dies. <laughs> <laughs> Before we before we let you go, Maria, uh, I wanted to ask, like, what are some maybe general wellness practices that people who are going through a divorce can, you know, put in to just get through this challenging time period? Mm -hmm. Yes, since divorce is very traumatic, it's, even in the best case scenarios, it's still hard to deal with. It's it's not a fun experience. It's not an easy experience. I think there's just a lot that goes into it. So having a really good support system is key. So support system could be, let's say family or friends or anybody that knows your situation and can provide that unconditional support. I think just having a whole team of people and, and support in your corner is, is big because it could feel very lonely and isolating. And especially if you um, know your story or you know your position, but then feel like maybe you're looking like the, the bad person for initiating the divorce. Let's say you want people that are in your corner unconditionally, and that can hold that space for you as you're going, as you're grieving, as you're going through all the intense emotions. And of course, all the hardship that comes along with it and, and really having a good self-care plan too. It depends also on, um, how stressful the divorce situation is. Sometimes people know that it's coming and that they've accepted it and they've worked through the grief. So they're in a pretty good position. And then there's other people that maybe they're dealing with an unwanted divorce. And so now they're, it's coming as the shock. It's hard to get out of bed. They're just really in a, a difficult place. And so either way, I think having a self-care plan where you're able to 
help yourself navigate the different emotions and just getting through the day, having a plan for how you address your emotions, because they will come up. You can be in the middle of the day and then you get an email, let's say, and it triggers you. So having steps and something in place to know how to tend to yourself in the moments that you're really in a bad emotional state, but also the regular consistent day-to-day activities that you can add maybe just 20 minutes a day to help put you in a better state. I think those, those practices go a long way. Thank you, Maria. I think that, um, you know, I was, should anything go wrong? Cause seeing, saying is both Sadia and I are in very long-term and committed relationships. I think we would come to you, but more importantly, our partners, Lauren and Wakas, Maria is the person that can, uh, you know, help out if, if anything goes wrong, but no, seriously, thank you so much. Thank you. And definitely we will be encouraging all of our listeners to follow your work, to sign up for your mailing list, to get your book. Uh, we'll have all of that stuff in the show notes. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in. That's all for this week. To learn more about this episode and to stay in the loop on all things Immigrantly, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Immigrantly underscore pod and on Instagram at Immigrantly pod. Immigrantly is produced by Kylie C. Roberts, Eliza Kazmi, and me, Sadia Khan, as the executive producer. Today's episode was written by Ashley Linuza, edited by Bronte Cook, and produced by Kylie C. Roberts and me, with help from Asit Bhatt from Refillion Media. Until next time, take care. 